Welcome to the Antioch Initiative Podcast, a podcast about the unreached and topics related to giving them access to the good news of Jesus. Hi, this is Nick with the Antioch Initiative Podcast, and today we have some special guests, Denny Spitters and Matthew Ellison, who are authors of the book, When Everything is Missions. So we'll be talking about that book today, and uh, I'm really excited to have both of you on here today. Thank you, Denny, and thank you, Matthew, for being with us. Great. Glad to be with you. Yeah, it's our pleasure, brother. Looking forward to the conversation today. And uh, Denny, I think you're coming in from Orlando. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. And Matthew from Albuquerque. Is that correct? Yes. The high desert, the high desert. That's where I'm from. Wonderful. Well, again, thank you for both being on here today and for talking about your book. It's an amazing book when everything is missions. And uh, uh, I want to ask the title comes from a quote from Stephen Neal. Would you, uh, one of you just share about that, that quote and just kind of what led you into writing, you know, the, the background of the book? <laughs> well, Andy, I'm going to kick it over to you. Yeah. You know, the, the quote is a famous quote. Uh, it's by Stephen Neal, and he's responding to the whole idea of calling everyone a missionary or everything the church does missions. And the quote is simply, you know, something to the effect of, you know, you've got it in front of you there, but I'm, I'm just going to paraphrase it. Yeah. When everything is missions, nothing is missions. If we call everything missions and everyone a missionary, then we're going to have to find another term that actually defines the role and responsibility of what true missions and missionaries are. Sure. And that um, and so maybe just some examples of like today in our culture and in our culture and around the world. I mean, maybe can you give some examples of how maybe the word um, missions, missionary is being used that um, might cloud the the uh, cloud the world or cloud our perception of what missions is? Sure. Well, there's been this very prevalent terminology in the church, particularly in America, but I think it's spreading all over the place that everyone is a missionary and, you know, you've already hit, hit on it. And so was Denny. And I want to mention that I think it's a well-intentioned idea. I don't think there's any malice behind it. I think the reason that church leaders have used it is because they're wanting people to get motivated. They're wanting them to be salt and light. They're wanting them to actively engage their communities and and they're not, you know, they're, they're not doing that. And so the thought was, let's call the missionaries and it'll motivate them. And, you know, again, using Stephen's quote there, the Bishop Neal, when everyone's a missionary, I mean, this is a variation of it, but no one's a missionary. And so I, I think it has the opposite effect of the intention. And the, the problem with it, Nicholas, is that it obscures the priority of taking the gospel cross-culturally, which is what missions is all about. Wow. It, it obscures it and blurs it. And the unreached and the marginalized, you know, those that are gospel destitute, they're the, they're the ones that are neglected because people conclude, well, if everyone's a missionary and everything I do is missions, then why should we be going over there? Let's just bear fruit right where we're at. So I would say that there's a lot of implications, but one of them is there's no impetus to send. If everyone's a missionary, then the only difference between Minneapolis and, you know, um, Malaysia is geography, but that's not the case. Sure. There's gospel access, much more gospel access in Minneapolis than there is in Malaysia. So there's just one thing that happens is the cross-cultural dimensions of the Great Commission get lost, in particular, the unreached. Wow. 
Yeah, that is huge. Um, uh, well, what about, I mean, I guess I'll just go ahead. You know, I mean, one of the reasons why there's confusion is because there is such a heart for, for so many issues and there are so many important issues and, and things that need to be addressed in our culture. Um, you know, maybe, you know, there's all kinds of different, you name the justice issue. There's, there's water, there's poverty, there's AIDS, there's trafficking, there's unemployment, um, there's uh, racial issues. I mean, all kinds of things are there. Um, aren't these important? <laughs> well, they're, they're definitely important, you know. However, they're not the core focus of the church. Um, we have to remember that as important as those issues are, the centerpiece of who we are as Christians and as disciples is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that brings transformation and true uh, transforming power for real justice and true righteousness to prevail. Without the gospel and without the Lord Jesus being at the center of a changed life, we have no hope to see um any sort of changes in any sort of systems. So, you know, I, I think it's very important that we kind of center more on the foundational pieces of what God has called us to do as disciples, as followers of him, and what the core emphasis of his kingdom coming. And I think when we focus on that, there's a big difference between, um, in fact, I, I would kind of put it this way. I would say, as John Piper, I think, has also said very clearly that the greatest injustice, can we say that all Christians care about um, injustice, sure. but that the greatest injustice is that we have almost half of the world's population who has never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's a great, what we should could say, imbalance, and others are even calling it us living in our gospel privilege of great access to the gospel, where other parts of the world have zero to limited access. So I think that's the big difference here when we focus on what are the core issues? And we can't have justice until there's true transformation with the gospel itself. Wow. Let me jump in here too, if I can, Nicholas. Sure. And that is you can call me you know, Nick, clearly. By the way, if that's all right. <laughs> oh, Nick. Got it. All right, Nick, it is. Saint Nick. Um, so, you know, Jesus says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. There is no question that we should be about the business of demonstrating the love of Christ, okay? But that's the church's job. And when we're talking about missions, we're talking about taking the church where it doesn't yet exist, or maybe it's not strong enough to grow. And, and so when the church is then established, it is the church's job then to be salt and light, to be that transforming agent in the culture, and I think what's really interesting, um, if you look at the Woodbury study, and I always forget the year that it was done, but it's, it's got to be 15, 20 years old, if I'm not mistaken. But Woodbury did an incredible study about missions, and he was really addressing this idea that, you know, missionaries destroy culture. 
And he wanted to find out if this was true. And he did extensive research. But what his research revealed was that the most transforming work in the societies that he evaluated were ones that were focused on the proclamation of the gospel. They were focused on proclaiming that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's the only way to heaven. You know, we're sinners and need him. And then when new birth comes to a person, that person should be actively engaged. Now, granted, we've got a lot of room for improvement in our context here in the United States. I mean, we should be salt and light more than we are. We need to get out of the salt shaker, as you know, the book said, and into the highways and the byways. But I think that's interesting. When you focus on issues of justice, when that becomes your primary focus, okay, again, should it be a focus? Yes. Is it a part of the whole? Without a doubt. But when it becomes your primary focus, it has the opposite effect. When the gospel is the primary focus, that's when you see societal transformation. And that's not anecdotal. Look at Woodbury's study. It was expansive. Sure. And I'm quoting you now from your book on page 45, It's where you say that modern missions history shows us this. Whenever the primary primacy of disciple making and church planning have been replaced with the efforts to eradicate the world's evil systems, diseases, and oppressions, the global disciple making activities of the church have foundered. And on the flip side, we can observe that the regions of the world that have seen the greatest democratic reforms and social welfare in the, in the last 300 years are those where missionaries focus most on personal conversion to the preaching of the gospel and the least on social transformation. We do not oppose social transformation and holistic ministry, but we do not believe that they are the goal. Making disciples who birth the local church is the key to both evangelism and social transformation. So I thought there it is. I thought I'm just yeah. trying to recap what you're just saying, or you know, without looking at your own text. Um, but yeah, the, the importance of gospel proclamation in the church, I, I, to your point, how can a society address social injustice if the church is not there? Who, who's going to do it? Um, yes. And, and now we have a church as well. And, and when we talk about the church, please, uh, I hope our listeners understand we're talking about us. We're talking, we're churchmen at heart. We're, we're not throwing rocks at God's bride. We're calling her to her to rediscover what she has lost. And one of the things that we're very fast, we've, we're losing very quickly, is the true gospel itself. Wow. So in our context, the gospel means so many different things now that you would hear people say, oh, yeah, I understand what the gospel is, that if they said it to you, would not look hardly but just pieces of the true biblical gospel. So we're living in a time where there's great confusion about all of this, because for the last 20, 30 years of our lives, you know, um, our leaders have told us, you're all missionaries. You're all missionaries. Get out there. You're all missionaries. Well, the problem with that is it really has de-emphasized what a true missionary really is. And of course, it's really funny because what we laugh together on at times is we talk with people, sometimes who are even missiologists, who claim that we need a whole new language. We need to get rid of the missionary term and missions. Well, it's kind of hard to talk about it and get rid of the term. 
And they say it's a pejorative. We shouldn't even use it anymore. But then they use it in trying. You know, we were not able to easily escape that whole thing. So language means things Mm. and words have meaning. And it's important to define that. And let me give you just something here that I would say follows that up a little better. Uh, Consider these two statements. Outreach is what the church does in both existing and making an impact within the context where we live. That's outreach. Mm -hmm. Missions is what the church does by both intentionally initiating beyond its context and stepping beyond where I live. It's crossing barriers that are are necessary for the gospel to go forward in power. It's the Romans 10 heart of the Apostle Paul. And that's really what the church in the West needs to wrestle with. And um, it's pretty foundational. That's good. That's really good. Yeah. Uh, Paul's talking about building a foundation where there is none and uh bringing the church to where it's not that's that's amazing um i uh, i was just recently uh re-looking at um you have two versions of the book there's the first version is the when everything is missions and i think your second version is it called conversations is that right what is the proper title to the second um second Con- book? conversations on when everything is missions rediscovering the mission of the church so there's an extra tagline there but conversations on when everything is missions yeah, and one of one of the chapters there talks about sequentialism, or at least it, at least one of the at least addresses that Acts one eight. And I thought that was really neat how uh, you talk about that. What what would you say to um, a pastor who was saying, "Well, you know, we're we're going to take care of our community first, and then we're going to go from Jerusalem to Judea, and then we're going and then we're going to do uh, Samaria, and we're going to you know we're going to take it uh, step at a time here." What would you say to a leader who was um, thinking in that vein? Yeah, I would say if the church in Jerusalem, and and that wasn't their hometown, by the way, Jerusalem was a real place. You know, we were the ends of the earth at that point. Um, Even the whole idea of using it as our model is a little sketchy, but okay, let's say you're going to talk about my Jerusalem, my city, my Judea, ends of the earth. Fine. Okay. Um, If the church in Jerusalem had said, look, we're going to wait. And um, we, we're not going to we're not going to go to the next spot until we've got things figured out here. We wouldn't be believers right now, okay? <laughs> because we never get it figured out. All right. If I had a nickel for every time I've heard a pastor say, "Look, why are we going over there?" Because this is really what's behind that idea that this is my mission field right here. Why are we going over there when there's so many needs right here? If I had a nickel for every time I heard you know, you know heard that, I'd be a wealthy man. Sure. And, you know, it's problematic because we're not called just to reach our surroundings, our neighborhood. And if you want to use Acts 1-8 as a proof text for your portfolio, if you will, and Pam Arlen does a great job of this, it's in addition, both also, okay? So it's not one or the other. It's not multiple choice. It's all simultaneous activity. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I would say that. And one more piece of that, and then I'll let Danny comment as well. He probably has some thoughts here. Pam Arlen, Dr. Pam Arlen wrote that chapter, does something remarkable that I hadn't thought about when I've heard that Acts 1-8 paradigm idea that I'm going to focus here on my, my city. 
And uh, that is that you deprive, if you're a church, if you're not sending, if you're, if you make your mission field, just your city, so to speak. Okay. Mm-hmm. You not only deprive the apostolic, the goers, the missionary, small a, you deprive those who are called to send. You rob them of the privilege of engaging in bringing the gospel to other cultures. And it's detrimental to the health and the vitality of the New Testament church. And David Penman, who we quote in our first book, he was Archbishop Archbishop in New Zealand. He said, no local church can afford to go without the nourishment and encouragement that will come to it by sending its best people to the mission field. So if, if your paradigm of mission stops at your city, you, you deprive the goer, the sender, and you're disobedient. And again, we're beneficiaries of a work that started in Asia Minor because these people took the gospel global. So we should then be extending it now to places and peoples that don't have it. Man. Yeah, that's, that's well said. I, you know, I would just say, sorry, uh, the, the paradigm doesn't work at all. And in fact, it's a false paradigm. Uh, none of all of them were Galileans, with the exception of Judas from Judea. Um, and this was not their hometown. This was not their city. They were scared to death to go back to Jerusalem. But Jerusalem, as the Holy Spirit revealed, was an international opportunity for the gospel to go out in power. And you, you had the Holy Spirit giving utterance, and you have all these peoples, all these Jews going, hey, I'm hearing my own language. What is this message about this Jesus? So God had a plan, and it was very, very clear and specific. And it gives me goosebumps just to think about how the Holy Spirit is arresting that moment and giving these people utterance to speak in tongues that have never been heard. Here's the dynamic or 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 strange part of the whole thing. So Acts 1.8, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Guess what? Between there and Acts 8.1, it stayed in Jerusalem by and large. Mm -hmm. It was very much, Matthew's used the term, a cul-de-sac of Christianity and of gospel privilege, you could say. And and then Acts 8.1 happens. What's that all about? Oh, persecution. Okay, you won't go do what I want you to do? Here's Acts 8.1. Let's get out and do this thing. And from there, you see Acts chapter 13, the the very thing Matthew is referencing, the the first church that sends out um, Paul and Barnabas and John Mark or John Luke, and they go out, maybe others on this first missionary team. And they're sent out to the Gentiles. This is an outward movement of the gospel. And Jesus always gave these terms in terms of not just locale, but the whole world. And this gospel will be preached to all nations. And then the end. And it's for the whole world. And I think that that's the thing that we have lost Um, partially because the whole world is now on my phone and I have no concept of what that really means. It's, it's been very reductionistic. So, you know, if we get in touch with what the words of Jesus are, we're on the right track. When we lose his five commissioning statements that he gave, 
post-resurrection about this is what you're to do, we're in big trouble. Wow. It's amazing. Yeah. I do really appreciate how you guys bring out uh, in your, in your books, the, the five different statements and, and just continuing to bring out clarity about, you know, uh, yeah, missions is, is very, it, there is an, an intent, you know, God's heart behind missions is not just addressing where we are right now and not just addressing um, things in our own context, but about the whole world, all the world. Um, in the Antioch initiative. Nick, one, uh, let me insert one more. Yes, please go ahead. Nick, can I hop in here real quick? Yes. Sorry. I think there's another piece to this. If, if your understanding of missions stops at your neighborhood or your city, and I know churches that are doing this, they're retreating from their global efforts and saying, we're going to focus right here, right now. Sure. What does that say about God? Hmm. Okay. When Jesus came to the temple in Mark 11, he whipped, he, he wove a whip by hand. I, I, I like to think about that moment at what's, what he, what he's processing. He's weaving this, this whip and he drives the money changers out of the temple and he drove them out of the outer courts. They, they had turned the court of the Gentiles into a place to sell merchandise. So God's people had become a barrier to the gospel and what they were communicating to the Gentiles. Because if you remember, the pattern in the Old Testament was they're going to hear about God's hand, his mighty outstretched arm. They're going to come. It was a come and see religion. But nevertheless, God made a way. They, they were coming now and they were going, wait a minute, Walmart's in the outer courts. <laughs> I yeah. mean, literally. Okay. And he, and what does he say? My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. When you become an ethnocentric, egocentric church, and you become like the church in Jerusalem that we read about that did not take the gospel cross culturally, what does it say about God? It, it presents him as a monolithic mono, it, you know, it's, it's a misrepresentation of who God is. So I, I ask if you stop at your city do you think about what, what about the implications of the optics that you're giving to other people? What you're saying is God only cares about this place. Sure. Yeah. And, and along with that, I think a very important thing to observe Jesus first ministry beyond the miracle in Cana, his first public ministry was to the Gentiles. Hmm. He was taking his disciples into incredibly unfamiliar, hated territory. And he constantly. Well, where did he go after that? Oh, he goes into Syria. Well, why aren't we going to Jerusalem? Jesus, the whole world was really his heart and his passion and his focus. He didn't just die for one people group. He didn't just die for one nation. He died for every tribe, tongue, nation. And we just feel like we're losing that by bringing so much focus onto who we are. And when we become that egocentric, it takes us away from the thrust of the gospel to all the nations and the whole world. Sure. Um, I want to ask, this is kind of a leadership question. Let me get a little preface. Um, with the Antioch Initiative, uh, which is your, our guest on our podcast right now, uh, we are constantly talking about the unreached and those who don't have access to the gospel. And you've just said how that, you know, Jesus was concerned about the nations and about all. And so that's definitely something we, we all, we're talking about a lot. We're thinking about is how that all peoples need access to the good news. Earlier, you also talked about how that it's problematic to call everyone a missionary. 
Um, and yet that is common. And you also did mention that maybe part of the reason is trying to, um, to give value to everyone involved in the process. Um, and there's, and so I guess a challenge that, um, we bumped into at times is casting a vision for those who don't have access to the gospel without, uh, devaluing those who are going to be called to stay here in America and, you know, pastor a church here or work in a business here, or, um, maybe go to a part of the world where the church is already established. All of the, all of those are very important. And yet if we don't continually talk about those who don't have access, how are people going to catch a burden? So I guess the, 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 the question, and then you're someone, you're both involved in mobilization. How have you found it helpful to cast a vision for those who still have are clueless, have no idea about the gospel and yet not wanting for people to feel like, well, I'm, I'm not important because I, I'm not called to be directly involved in helping people have access to the gospel who, who don't have it right now. So one of the things that Denny and I talk about in book one is that missionary is not a rank. It's a go. role. It is a distinct role. Okay. Just as pastor is not a rank, it is a role. Now, now God by, you know, the spirit by his grace gives gifts. And some of those gifts are more prominent than others. And we know there is also a first among equals. We see that even in the new Testament church structures, but no question. Um, this is not about some exalted, you know, we need to honor them. They're worthy of honor because of the sacrifice that they make. In fact, in third John, when John talks about caring for missionaries, he says, do it in a manner worthy of God's name. So they need a measure of care because of the sacrifices they undergo. But even the very fact that he says that when you send them on their way, do it in a manner worthy of God's name. He elevates the importance of sending and caring for missionaries as high as it can possibly be elevated. And so senders should be celebrated just as they are in scripture. Sure. So and just as missionaries should be celebrated. So everyone has a role to play. So we would say, if you are not called to go, and that's not everyone's called, just as in Acts 13, not everyone was called. It was certain ones, but everyone has a role to play. David Platt hits on this in his chapter in the second book. He said, we are not all missionaries, but we are all on mission. We all have a vital role to play. So I think we need to scripturally look at the significance of sending and the significance of praying and mobilizing in these different roles. And again, every role is crucial. One is not better than the other, but we will say that the role of Apostle Smalley is tragically neglected because as human, you know, our human nature is to focus on us the things in our firsthand orbit and the things that are far away get neglected. So I will say this, it takes great intentionality to get your people in your churches to lift their eyes and to consider going to the ends of the earth. But let us go on record. We're not minimizing the roles of others at all. They are, they are crucial to the war effort. Yeah. And, and a lot of people uh, have made this out to be some, ah, you're, you're just arguing about semantics. This is just semantics. Uh, no, no, uh, but we are not arguing for the word, okay? We are not arguing for that in terms of who they are in the kingdom in terms of, as Matthew said, some sort of rank of importance. It's yeah. not. 
It is a role just like, okay, so is everybody, if everybody's a missionary, is everybody a pastor? Is everybody, you know, you can go down the list here and you'd say, well, no, well, no, not everybody's a missionary, but that doesn't mean that we're all not on mission. And what this shows about where we are as a church is how far we have fallen from true discipleship. Yes. Yeah. Because at the core of this is this um, sentiment that if we call everybody a missionary, they'll go out and share the gospel. No, they won't. Hmm. Calling myself something is not going to make that happen. That has to come from a real relationship with Christ that only comes if I'm a true follower of his. So how about disciple? That's what Jesus called his men and women. And that's what we should call one another. We're disciples. So what's a missionary? Well, a missionary, quite simply, is an obedient disciple who goes and crosses barriers of maybe um, geography, not all the time, but mostly um, culture, language, and uh, living and lifestyle to bring the gospel in such a way that he actually or they actually mirror who Christ is in that culture. By the way, it's not going to happen um, virtually through the Internet. It's not. God did not come virtually. He sent his flesh and blood sons and uh, son. And he wants us as his sons to be those who will identify ourselves with Jesus by how we live, be disciples and followers of his, and therefore those who are disciples are people who are called to do something they're already doing in their context. Sure. Yeah. Denny hits on something I think is really important. And I, you know, I mentioned that I think it's a well-intentioned idea because it's intended to motivate people to share their faith, things like that. But it's also a reflection, as Denny said, we've so lowered our standards for what it means to be a disciple. And that means being salt and light, sharing your faith, all these things. We've so lowered our standards that to get people to do those things, we're going to call them missionaries. But as Denny pointed out, that doesn't work. We were at a conference a couple of years ago and one of the guys in the audience was a pastor. He said, actually, I read your book. I am convinced, but I'm really struggling. He said, I've been calling people missionary. You know, everyone's a missionary for so long. What are we going to do? What am I going to call them? And Denny, I looked at each other and we just turned to the audience and we said, why don't you try disciple? And why don't you help them understand again, the privilege, the honor, the absolute wonder of being a disciple of Jesus Christ and reserve missionary for that one who is again, sent out to cross the culture. One more piece on this. I think it's really helpful if there's pastors online. Okay. Uh, Denny and I've said this before. I don't think when pastors call everyone a missionary, they really mean it. And we got this from Justin Long. Okay. And I've used this exercise before. So when talking to pastors, I'll say, okay, you believe everyone in your church is a missionary? Yes, I do. That's what I've been telling people. I believe it. Okay. Do you believe the Holy Spirit has appointed every single person in your church to be identified by the leaders of the church, affirmed by the leaders of the church, lay hands on them, support them, send them off to a different culture to, to learn a language, 
evangelize and plant a church. Do you believe that is what everyone in your church is called to do? And immediately they go, no. In fact, there's people we would never do that with. And I'm like, yes, but what are you going to call those people then? Oh, missionaries. So what you don't mean is everyone's a missionary. You mean everyone's a witness. Everyone should be an evangelist. Everyone should be doing good deeds in their communities in Jesus name. So they don't really mean it. Yeah. Every word language matters. You know, everyone's yep. a disciple. It's in the Bible. Yes. What, why yeah. it, it amazes us. And maybe you picked it. You know, I want to be very kind here, but it's amazing to me from missiologists to seminary teachers, how so much of what gets argued over is already quite clear in the Bible. Hmm. It, it's it's very clear overall. And so, well, what are we going to call them? Well, call them what Jesus called his followers. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. And you know what? If we get pushback on that, if the culture we're living in, or the people around us mock that or abuse it or well, so be it. The, Jesus said that's going to be, oh, oh, by the way, that's part and parcel of being a disciple. Right. So. You know, those are the things that we would hope that people would return to mm-hmm. and think about in the, their most basic form. Yeah. Wonderful. Wow. Well, I want to say thanks for just all you guys have shared uh, today. And uh, your book is amazing. When Everything is Missions by Denny Spitters and Matthew Ellison. And your second book is it, 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 Everything is Missions Conversations or something to that effect, right? Conversations. Yes. And, and that book on to the beginning. Yeah, and that book is a compilation, actually, of people that have been huge influences in our lives. We edited the book, but they each wrote a chapter from David Platt to Ed Stetzer to, um, you know, um, J.D. Payne. There's all sorts of people in it who yeah. are writing about this. And they're they're wrestling and struggling with some of these same concepts. Yeah. Dick Brogdon gave me this book and he wrote a chapter in the second one as well. So he's a friend. And um, so grateful for that. And I want to definitely recommend, you know, both books to our listeners. And um, I know they're available on Amazon, or at least I've I've downloaded, you know, downloaded them, the digital copies. Um, Any other uh, places you want to recommend as far as getting copies or access? Yeah, we we would encourage people to go to whenEverythingIsMissions.com. There we go. They can buy the book direct there. You can buy them um, individually, or there's a bundled price, which you won't get on Amazon. And then also you have access to our podcast. We've been doing podcasts for about maybe two and a half. Well, my COVID, COVID uh, has totally <laughs> warped my understanding of the passage of time. I think it's probably three years now we've been doing those podcasts. And this new season is all about interviewing the contributors from book two, as Denny mentioned. And um, those are still rolling out right now. In fact, I think one went out just today on Acts 1-8, Acts 1-8 Sequentialism is the one. So you can get the, listen to the podcast there on uh, whenEverythingIsMissions.com as well. You can, of course, get them on Amazon, but, you know, it's a blessing to the ministry when you go direct to our site. Definitely. I want to recommend our listeners to do that and want to just say again, thanks for your time today and for your willingness to, to come on and let us talk to you and hear more about your thoughts. Just amazing material. And I appreciate all you're doing for the kingdom. Thank you so much for being with us today on the AMIAC initiative podcast. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Thank you for listening to another amazing episode of the Antioch Initiative podcast. We encourage you to follow us on whatever podcasting platforms you use the most. 
Feel free to check out our social medias to stay updated on all future content.